this is not another one of those cast pod thingies, <laughs> is it? Tajan's man, I yeah, know it. Yeah, I know it too. I really do. Welcome back, Tajians. If you're new to the podcast, hello, because it's a fairly new podcast. I used to be on Yarns with Az and Taz, so if you want to binge those, you can check those out still. And um, welcome to switching over to Tajians. Got some positive feedback from last week's episode, Shrek from the Noob Spiro podcast. If you haven't heard that, heard that podcast, go and have a listen. It's awesome, and um, check it out. It's all about spearing, but... Yeah, not when, when I was on it, because I'm pretty shit. I'm just a noob Spiro. And also had so many new listeners and follows on Instagram, for, especially um, Spiros. A lot of them jumped on board last week. And uh, people, uh, someone, a bloke named Frog says it makes his day a whole lot better when he listens to Taz Yarns. And um, JP, Joe Press, actually Frog, he sent me this video of a, a dude saving a whale, pulling a, pull a, uh, pulling a bloody heap of boys off it and cut the rope off it so might post that if I'm allowed to and also um, on the cast Joe Press says he binged all the old As and Taz episodes now he's on to Taz Yarns while well, sending back his project boat it makes the shitty, shitty job of sending back a whole lot easier so thanks Joe and um, today's interviewee is a woman Actually, we've got, I've had two women in five episodes. Look at me diversifying, look at me. Her name is Nicole Slater. She's a well-known artist. She's a thoroughbred horse breeder. She's a tomboy at heart. She's an animal rescuer. She's a family woman. You know, like say family man, but say family woman, because that's what they do. To two awesome kids. She's also an inventor. And if you don't know who she is, she's also the wag, wife and girlfriend, to Billy Slater. We dig up a bit of dirt, uh, dirt on Billy, and um, Billy actually retaliates with some of his own on Nicole. So have a listen and um, enjoy it. Take it away, Nicole Slater. So it's only got worse. <laughs> so oh, it might ask you yep. if you still work. Yep, yep. Some, some lady just j- jumped in our conversation. How rude. Record. <laughs> <laughs> um. Yeah, so take it away. I went over the list. Bill just thinks it's the biggest stitch up ever. <laughs> <laughs> but hey, I'll take it because when do I get the opportunity, right? So we might as well start from here. We've got uh, Nicole Slater, um, the better half of Billy Slater. That's most, right. <laughs> most, most people know him would say that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> They're like, oh, Billy's your husband. I can't get it. Yeah. That's where it goes. <laughs> so uh, there would have been a, I would have said a bit in the intro anyway. So I won't in, in, uh, introduce you again, <laughs> sort of thing. So oh no, that'll be embarrassing if we have to yeah. do it twice. <laughs> um, yeah. So you're actually a North Queensland girl. I am. I actually, um, as I sit here in Melbourne, and it is probably a hundred kilometer wind smashing us right now, and I think we had. The typical four seasons in a day, hail, one minute was sunny. I'm regretting that I no longer live in North Queensland <laughs> in this moment. <laughs> Probably in the past year or so, would it be? 
Oh, oh yeah, there's literally like a moment I reckon that lasts five minutes. You go, oh geez, it's nice to live down here, and then it passes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. What's the degrees outside at the moment? You're in um, outside Melbourne. I um, to be honest, I couldn't even tell you. It just, it just, you don't even look at it anymore. You just rug up, and you know that you got to take layers. That's one thing I learned very fast in Melbourne is it could look sunny outside and you think, oh, that's nice. I'll go out in jeans and a singlet. Never make that mistake. Take 10 layers with you at all times. <laughs> so One side of the street and the sun's on it and you're like, oh, this is nice. And then you walk uh, the other side of the yeah. street and you're in the shade and it's just Mate. freezing. Oh, they could drop 10 degrees within five minutes. We were just outside, actually. We had a chainsaw down a tree. It had fallen on one of the horse fences. So um, the winds have been extreme in Victoria this last week. And then I think we had a massive storm a week before that. So um, just the typical Melbourne weather at the moment. You guys uh, just so, have no idea. <laughs> so how it works is when you get shit weather, we get good weather usually. Because oh, oh, three past years, so we get the good weather. We're, it's actually perfect weather here today. <laughs> mm, <laughs> I rub mm. it a bit more. Yeah, but when is it not? I, I didn't Never understand look. why everyone's. Oh, oh no. <laughs> <laughs> I um I didn't understand why everyone would talk about weather so much until I moved to Melbourne. It was um one of those things. It's like, oh, everyone always just drinks coffee and talks about weather. Now I get why. <laughs> so I think living in North Queensland and and as North Queenslanders would know, our childhood is literally like I don't know, I was a bit naive. I actually thought everyone lived like us. We have our the reef in our backyard. You would sit on a bloody yacht and you would sleep on a, off a K island. You would wake up, swim with turtles. Like, I mean, it's literally a fairyland up there, right? <laughs> and I honestly, kid you not, thought everyone lived like this. I would go out fishing one week, we'd be up at the dam skiing, we'd be riding horses, we'd be out on bikes, we'd be four driving. Best life ever. And I think my wardrobe was like 10 bikinis and that was it and board shorts with thongs. And it was the board shorts below the knees, mind you, which is now not a thing. Um, and life is simple. And then I moved to Melbourne and I was honestly like, what does everyone do down here? Like it was everyone goes out for lunch and coffees and talks about the weather. That's it. And where's black? <laughs> and where's black? Oh, God, I'm glad I'm wearing colour today. Yeah, you got your nice pink jumper on. Yeah, it's... um. Yeah, <laughs> Ariat sponsor. Uh, Ariat. Yeah. <laughs> Ariot. <laughs> uh, yeah. <laughs> so, um, what's the website? <laughs> Ariat. <Ariot>, yeah. <laughs> Check them out on Instagram. Um, yeah, just a little plug there. They're, um, a, they're a horse. Yeah, it's they. They do like, uh, like livestock horse sort of style. Yeah, yeah. I think, um, I think they're American based, but uh, yeah, they're they're massive. So, me and Bill can't believe, firstly. If we go back to Bill's childhood and horses, you know, he was just, he like got given a horse. He was just making it through to get, you know, bumba ride with uh, some friends to get to Pony Club and all that. Meanwhile, um, now we're sitting pretty, we're sponsored by Ariat and Mitavite, which is the horse feed and clothing. So now we're like, how this happened? I don't know. <laughs> Coming from uh, where we came from and now upbringing with horses. Yeah. It's uh, it's quite funny how it all works out in the end. <laughs> That's good. So growing up in North Queensland, um, you got yeah, you you yeah, family. You got uh, Tyler and Jake, and you also got Mop, Mop and Judy are also living down there with you at the moment as well. So they're all the North Queenslanders. Yeah. So yeah, 
full the, house. Ron Ron complains a lot about the weather. <laughs> <laughs> no, and we've actually got hydronic heating in the house, so it's it feels like North Queensland inside our house, but it does not outside our house. So he's he he complains, but yet he walks around in t-shirts and the shorts. So <laughs> it's amazing. I've never seen him not in a, a wife beater singlet. The blue wife. No, beater. yeah, he's. <laughs> yep, he still he still wears yeah a wife beater singlet. It's hilarious. <laughs> but he doesn't Has beat a his wife. <laughs> What's that? But he doesn't beat his wife up. <laughs> no, no. Oh yeah, we should probably have that in disclaimer. <laughs> no, they'll be home, I'm sure, soon and um, back in the sun where he belongs. He yeah. he just he can't wait to get home. <laughs> so yeah, full house for us. But, um, but, yeah, I do love love the idea of coming back to North Queensland and living that lifestyle and even showing the kids that because I don't think they understand what it's like living up that way, especially fishing, which yeah. I know is um, interesting that we uh, spoke about this yesterday about fishing and how <laughs> let's just retract on the story about Billy, how you guys have pretty much taken him out to the reef, basically shown him exactly where the cray is like let's just tell the real side of the story here <laughs> so those who don't know billy had a profile picture of what how big was this cray for like five years Probably about a five kilo cray i reckon four and a half five yeah kilo. it was a, a big cray it was a decent size decent yeah. size but what people and he's like oh you know if he tells a story oh yeah we go fishing here's a cray that i caught and the disclaimer is yeah, 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 you might have speared that. But meanwhile, you had about six of you behind him ready to go to shoot it just in case he misses it. And you told him where it was as well. <laughs> Is that really fishing? <laughs> yeah, he, I, I sort of just put, I went down and I just seen the tip of its feelers. So, and I knew Billy hadn't speared one before. So I went back up and said, oh, there's yeah. a down here. And so he went <laughs> down and shot it. And as he pulled it out, I'm like, Mate, I don't care who you are. Oh. I'm gonna let give him that, that cray to if I knew how big it was. <laughs> was that before or after the gun went off accidentally <laughs> and you nearly shot him? <laughs> that, was, that was probably after, actually. Yeah, because he. Oh. Yeah, that that I, I actually spoke about that in my last podcast, and yeah, I just couldn't believe that because it, it was a brand new gun. I haven't shot it yet, and I, it loaded. It was air, yeah. and it just fired. Yeah. Missed him by about five hundred mil, half a meter. Oh. <laughs> I don't know if I knew about that. Yeah. Could you imagine ringing Craig Bellamy up at that time? Because I'm sure he would have been playing. Hey, Craig, uh, just so you know, <laughs> he's going to play skewer. this season. <laughs> <laughs> he's on the skewer. <laughs> but I also said in the, um, um, I said I, I would never be able to get a bloody, get, um, have a beer or in a pub in, in Queensland ever, but I reckon in New, oh, South, yes. New South Wales would have got yeah. a beer in every pub. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. It's a win-win. Either way you look at it, there's somewhere there's a silver lining. I I have to move. <laughs> yeah, you would. <laughs> oh god. Yeah. So yeah, that was a good day. And I remember you. You um. You actually used to be in a fishing club. I did actually. Growing up in North Queensland, I was such a tomboy. It suited me. Down. I, I look. I haven't changed. I like poor Billy. I shaved my head. I've, I've done it about three times. I like. Grow, I'm not real girly girly so growing up in north queensland if you ever are a tomboy it is the place to be the backyard was obviously fishing my dad and i did a lot of fishing and i didn't realize it at the time but i was the only girl in my fishing club i wonder why it's i, I loved it i 
I don't know what it is. I just love fishing. I love everything about it. Um, I my mission when we went to Fiji, Reece, oh, when we were allowed to travel, Bill wanted to go as close as he can. Is it Cloud Nine? What is the yeah. Cloud Break Nine? Whatever that is. Cloud Nine. Um, yeah. Break the surf. Obviously, <laughs> very world famous. I just never remember the name of it. His mission was to spend as much time as he can out there, right? Yep. All I wanted to do, now we're on an island, obviously, out in the middle of Fiji. Everyone would probably be thinking if they're out there, they might want to sunbake and probably have cocktails by the pool. Not me. My mission was to go out trawling for a mahi-mahi, and that was it. That's all I wanted to do, and I got one too, and I it was just like the greatest day of my life. <laughs> they zip around, don't so, like, I, the, oh, the I spent an hour and a half. <laughs> I think I had an hour and a half. We trawled for it. And then um, once I hooked it, it took me about 10 to 15 minutes to get it in. Yep. And it was only a female and, oh, it was huge. But um, it, oh, I, just, I just loved fishing. I don't know, I don't know why, but always, always have, always will. And love coming home and doing fishing. So I think um, when we come up next, that's the mission, to come out with you guys or anyone that will want to take us out fishing. <laughs> <laughs> I actually another plug. Sold my boat a couple of weeks ago, and I was like, "Ah, uh, <laughs> friends, but, um, we would we won't be calling you when we come up. <laughs> I can tell You're you, useless you, to you me just now. Gotta hold on, you just got to hold on. That's. <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, I think. I think what's even funnier is like even our childhood looking back is when you tell people like, "Oh yeah, we used to jet ski in like all the dams," and then people are like hold up isn't there crocodiles in those dams you're like oh yeah you just hopefully don't fall off your jet ski while you're going through there <laughs> so, and I remember that looking back there's a lot of moments I think I don't know whether it's good parenting or I'm not sure but I remember dad and I went out on the jet ski out at Trinity Beach and there's the um, outlet I can't remember what it was called but you'd go up the dam to load it back on through the crocodile-infested channel right there. And um, Dad was saying, oh, the tide's going down. We're going to have to go back in, you know, to get this thing back on the um, on the trailer. Uh, he goes, I'll meet you around there. So he takes off in the car. I drive this jet ski out by myself. And when we're talking the old jet skis, they do not have the safety gadgets like they do today. Like we could roll this thing easily. Like this, this is a very lightweight little jet ski. And I remember standing up on the plane because I'm trying to have a look where the where the sand dunes are and where I could get this thing back through. Mate, I hit that sand dune so hard. <laughs> I went flying straight over the handlebars and I'm in croc-infested water by myself and I'm probably about maybe 17 or something like that. <laughs> and meanwhile, I've got nowhere in sight. I can't see anyone and I'm thinking at any moment a crocodile could just jump out and grab me. But then I found some bloke fishing ages away Ended up grabbing him, making him run back with me and try and pull this jet ski out. And then I think we had to take it back out some other place to go get it parked. But just little moments like that, yeah. I look back on and go, oh, that's North <laughs> Queensland living, right? Like, Because <laughs> the water's always dirty that comes out of those rivers too. So you can't really, you don't really notice where the bottom is <laughs> until you find it. Yeah, you know. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it's always it's always like Russian roulette, you know, in bloody croc-infested waters. But I got plenty of those stories. <laughs> but yeah, it's uh, I don't know. I just found it like I look at my kids now, and I think, oh, you guys have got nothing. I mean, we were constantly trying to be killed by snakes, crocodiles, spiders. Like the, the list goes on. Sharks. <laughs> yeah, it's like I feel like I wrap my kids in cotton wool a little bit too. 
to mm. protect them from that sort of stuff. But then I'm like, they need to yeah. see it. <laughs> <laughs> they need to have almost near-death experiences <laughs> to, to sort of um, be equal level with us as, yeah. as children. <laughs> like, how many creeks did we now swim in as kids that are all croc-infested now? Yeah, like, that, I was floating down them all my life, and now they're all full of crocodiles. Yeah, that's what I... So I've, I hear. Yeah, I've, I've mentioned that before, and it's, yeah, the past 20 years, like, quadruple yeah. of crocs and stuff that are in the river. So Yeah. yeah it's yeah. a place to be in the water at the moment. <laughs> oh, crazy. Some, um, uh, croc skin boots and wallets and stuff. We should go and nail a couple. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, um, yeah, I think I think it is far. There's the crocodile farms and all that, so obviously they do it in a very humane way. But yeah, I mate, mean, I'm yep, nice little Louis Vuitton bag wouldn't go astray. <laughs> Actually, I think that one's owned by Louis Vuitton. That the farm and that. In this yeah, farm. yeah, yeah, yeah. It is. I think um, one, one skin goes for like two hundred fifty thousand dollars or something. I know it's quite fascinating how they. Um, I don't know what makes it that price, and I, I've only heard that they line their mats with rubber, so it's all about their belly. So if there's a little nick on it, it drops down in price, and by the time it gets, I suppose, to get a bag made out of it, as long as it's perfection, that's what makes it the higher prices. So, But how's that? They want the belly for the bag. <laughs> Mate, go for the back. It's as rough as anything. It will probably handle. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it would. Yeah. But uh, yeah, interesting, eh? I've actually been there, and they got just one pen for one crop. They keep them all in. Yes. When they're little, they'll keep them all in the pen. But as they get past like a meter, then they chuck one pen per crop. Yeah, There's a lot of it's little fascinating. Pens. They just live in this little pen until they get stunted. That they, they um. Did you hear about? Uh, I think it's Agro. He he got out in the cyclone because obviously when the cyclones hit, we've got floating cows down dams and all sorts of things. Um, but they said that one of their crocs got out and yep. he ended up returning with a missing like um, limb or he's got <laughs> some pretty major, major things. So maybe he felt like maybe life was good in captivity yep. where he was getting fed every day. And then he went out and he probably met some real big boys and went, yeah, I might go back. <laughs> we actually used to have yeah. a farm straight across the road from it. So when it used to flood, oh, no. it used to flood into mm -hmm. our farm as well. And we we're, were walking in waist-deep water and they're like, they'd come around like, you haven't seen any crocs? They're out at the moment. Like, Shit, we might get out of this water. <laughs> Again, that's our childhood, right? That's it, right there to a T. <laughs> How many moments did we probably die in our childhood that we were very unaware of? But that's just what maybe makes us a little bit tougher. I know that a lot of people ask me that question if they meet me for the first time and maybe there is the expectation of being married to a footballer or like someone that has a status and then they meet me and they're like, oh, wow, you're, uh, you're maybe not what we expected. <laughs> and I'm like, what did you expect? <laughs> and just I think a wag. They, what's, a, what's a wag stable? Uh, I think it's a uh, wife and girlfriends. Wife and girlfriends. I think that's all it says. <laughs> not really that ex exciting. Something special. <laughs> yeah, not nothing other than wife and girlfriend of a footballer. I think that's what it's supposed yeah. to mean. So yeah, I think uh, I think I'm a big disappointment to a lot of people. <laughs> I'm just a real knockabout. <laughs> I'm yeah, typical North Queenslander. <laughs> nothing phases me. Coming into that, like your 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 art's pretty good. 
So I've, I've checked it out and all your horses. And you've, uh, for a while, are you doing elephants and stuff like that? I remember. All- yeah. Yeah. I'll take that pretty good. Yep. That's, yeah. That sounds like I'm up there in the elite <laughs> artist. <laughs> well, always, but I always compare people to myself. <laughs> oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah I didn't know. Football and you're pretty good at art. <laughs> hilarious i um i just had my first art critic write about me uh, i've got this new collection called the stables only because it was fitting i had a studio full of horses all i've been doing is painting horses at the moment and someone said someone made a comment oh that's a nice stable collection you've got there and i thought oh i like that i like the ring of that yeah. so um i've ended up with my first art critic coming out and writing about me and to be honest, I didn't understand half the things he wrote. I had to Google a lot of those words, but um, it sounded good. And he did refer to what um, me. It reminded him of a, an artist in a in the UK that sold for eleven million pounds in 1997. I thought that'll do. Yeah, yep. just one of those. Yeah, so yeah, that's about twenty million Australian. <laughs> yeah, just yeah, good conversion. Yeah, I thought oh, I'll pay the farm off, buy a few mares. Um, but yeah, I've, uh, I've, I'm a self-taught artist. I actually started out, I think when I left school, I'm dyslexic with reading and writing. So instead of being poor me, cry me a river, what am I going to do? It kind of pushed me down the path of, well, what am I good at? You know, that reverse psychology and try and think about it in a different light. And at the time, I, I just really liked being artistic and creative. I think I use that, you know, is it the left or the right side of my brain? Brain. And um I did draw in on that a lot then because I didn't have the luxury, which people don't realise, it is a luxury if you can read and write really well, (laughs) to then have the option to do whatever I wanted. I didn't. I was sort of restricted. And like I said, I took it as a a blessing instead of as a curse and I decided when I was 17, I want to start my own business. And at that, you know, we're talking 20, it's going to show my age, but we are talking more than 20 years ago now. And a lot of people back then didn't probably just leave school. They would go to university and then they'd probably have a gap year and they'd go holiday and they'd come back and start their career. I left school and I was already working on my business. And I was like, I had a, bought a car, had sign writing, I had a shirt, I had hats. I'd go to Port Douglas Markets on a Sunday morning. I'd be driving up there at five in the morning. Most people are still probably partying at that time at my age. (laughs) So a lot of people questioned me, what was I doing? And why am I considering this is ever going to be a career? I'd have all the comments, you know, go get a real job. You know, I'd have a lot of people doubting me that I'd never, ever go anywhere with this. But I remember the very first weekend I got to Port Douglas Markets and I sold two paintings and I made $500. And I was like, this is going to work. Like I was (laughs) like, it is. I'm going to make this work. And I'm way too stubborn. And what's funny is Billy's really stubborn, but I'm like double more stubborn than he is. (laughs) So, um. It was one of those things now, like looking back, it's taken me 20 years to get to this point. You know, people like, I think, whether they have an opinion that I'm only successful because of who my husband is, I don't see Billy painting the paintings and I don't see people willing to spend, you know, whether it's thirty, forty, fifty thousand dollars $50,000 on a painting just because I'm Billy Slater's wife. Yeah. So at the end of the day, I've had to do this myself. I haven't had a leg up from anyone. I'm self-taught and I've just been too stubborn to let it pass. So I think the first 20 years I've been a bit distracted with kids and Bill's career. Yeah. And then since we moved out to our farm, I said to Billy, I, 
I need to give this the time it deserves. And I also think maturity has helped me as well to spend the time it deserves. And it just so happened to be that I started painting horses and I know them like the back of my hand. I've been riding and around horses my whole life. So I feel that now it's really fitting that I've gone down that path and even more fitting we're in that industry as well. So the connections worldwide with horses from like Chris Cox, um, who's from Mariba, and he's become a world famous in horsemanship, to yeah. Natra and Delphina, who's world famous in polo, Zara Tyndall, who's the Queen's granddaughter. Like we've all become friends with all these people and they're all horse related. Yeah, Like it's amazing. The horse world is huge no matter what category polo horsemanship racing dressage it doesn't matter it's massive yeah i, I want to know when you start uh painting do you have a a vision in your mind or you just start drawing and see where it goes yeah so there's two ways i find artists there's an artist that can see it in their mind and then go from there i am not that one i'm the visual artist i need to see it if you put a cup in front of me i could look at it right there and then and transfer that scale onto whatever, a piece of paper or a canvas. So what I find, which gets exciting about my business and where it could go, is I could eventually be offering studs or I could be offering on the other side of the world. I will come to you, I will take photos of your horse and then I will come back and then paint your horse. So rather than um, just go, yeah, send me a photo, whatever you like, that can be part of it as well. Like that's the future plan. But, yeah, I do need a photo reference and then once – once the scale's all mapped out, I just go in and hope and pray I get it right. <laughs> How do you go with colours? And I see, like, some of your pictures have, the, like, really nice colours and all through them. Like, I, I've always been okay at drawing, but as soon as I had to start painting, I was just absolutely shit. Like, Yeah. <laughs> well, it's such a different medium. And I think because I'm self-taught, I can't probably tell you maybe the right or the wrong way. There's, I think there's like a million ways to skin a cat. Is that correct for me to say that? <laughs> but we're we're going to come into some of these sayings a bit later. Okay, I'm, I'm terrible at a lot of sayings. <laughs> Did Bill give you the tip off? <laughs> yeah. I'm really bad. <laughs> well, you want to go through them now? <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> no, because we'll be here all night. Um, uh, where is it? <laughs> oh, no, no, no. We'll come back. We'll circle back. Um, it is one of those things, though, that um, I find that if, if you can open your mind to, sometimes it's about what brush you want to It's like there's like a million maybe categories so there's like all the brushes that you could use so it's like what technique you're trying to use versus how much of white versus blue depending on what shade of blue because there's like a trillion blue shades if you've mixed you know 30 percent blue to white so you have to sort of start to learn that then there's a matter of would you water down the paint a little bit or would you water your brush down a little bit or do you want the brush to be drier so these are the things that i'm starting to master now it's not just about putting paint on a brush and chucking on the canvas I've got the best linen in the world. I've got the best paint in the world. And there's talks at the moment of becoming the Da Vinci brush ambassador, which I was like, <laughs> what? Like, it's out of control. But putting Da Vinci next to my name, I'm totally down. So um, it also comes down to um, there's just like a thousand things in play. It's not just an easy answer. It's just that you've got to start to think about the technique of pressure angle even like it's there's so many little minute details that I could go and tell you but it's a matter of you practicing it and getting the hang of it like sometimes the technique 
that I'm saying can work. And then other days the temperature outside is starting to play with the paint. It's drying too fast or it's too cold and it's not drying fast enough because I need to get onto my second layer. So there is so much more into it than just one simple like way of answering that question. (laughs) So, yeah. (laughs) You have to be uh, here for hours and I would give you an art class. (laughs) (laughs) You put a time lapse up of you drawing one uh, not long ago and all painting. Oh, yeah. It's pretty good just to see how that all came together because it's just not you work in one section, then you go to one section, and it's just yeah, it's all over the shop. Yeah. It's pretty crazy. Oh, yeah, there's no I have a method where I like to start with the eye because I find that the eye is the soul and it's almost like I'm meeting this horse that I'm bringing to life for the first time. So I find that I can get really connected. It sounds very weird, but I think because I'm an artist, I can get away with it. So I've been told anything that weird I do, they go, oh, you're an artist. So then people are like, oh, I get it. (laughs) Red wine. (laughs) Yes. Oh, I'm an artist. Um, I don't even drink. That's the problem. This is is a coffee, guys. All right. Is it a (laughs) Marish? Yeah. (laughs) Marish. Yeah, so I I find that starting with the eye, but then from there I don't have anything in plan. It's just a matter of I'll make my way down to the muzzle. Like I'm generally just talking about horses now and then I go up to the ears and I find that the focal point of my paintings now, if I can get the ears, the eyes and the nose correct, the rest of it doesn't matter. The rest of it to me is just skin and it's tones and it's shading and that sort of stuff is almost like when you take a photograph and, you know, you have focus on something and then the rest of it's in the foreground. That's how I see my paintings now. So the focal is the ears, the eyes and the nose and the rest of it just falls back in. So once I've got those things sorted, the rest of the painting flows. Sometimes it doesn't, mind you. Sometimes I go, fuck it, I'm painting over it. Oh, sorry. Sorry, someone's trying to bring me in. Was that one of your paintings? Sorry. (laughs) <laughs> how rude someone um someone tried to call make a delivery for one of my um something arty something something to do with all my prints oh, and stuff so how dare they yeah ruining podcast <laughs> podcast isn't art people <laughs> it is <laughs> um yeah so where are we going into the sayings right now what are we what's happening here are we gonna plug this is where i this is where bill stitched me up i can see what's happening Oh, no, I actually asked him just this morning because I said we we're, we're probably going to give you a bit of a roast today. So oh, perfect. He goes, <laughs> so I said, so I said, I said you got anything on her? And he said, yeah, she's pretty crap at sayings. Like, you know, it's almost like I am so close. I am always so close that I'm more logic with the sayings. So, like, yeah, I'll so go, this, oh, yeah, um, oh, is he giving you some example? <laughs> yeah, here is one. Take a page out of my book. Yeah. Um, but who has a leaf? Don't shine on, <laughs> don't shine on my parade. So <laughs> Billy always does is shine on everyone's but that's parade the thing, anyway. Right? They're not coming in with a rain. Oh, I said one the other day. Did he mention about after the storm? I said, oh, it's the calm. Did I say? I said it's the calm before yeah. the storm. Did he write calm that one down? Storm, what? What's the <laughs> I right think one? Calm before the storm, but then you probably said the calm after the storm. The storm hit, and we walked around and went, "Look, Bill, it's the calm after the storm." And he was like, "Oh my god, <laughs> what is wrong with you?" <laughs> I'm always said one more, the, so close. <laughs> uh, the black horse in the field. Yes, I'm not racist. I just honestly, genuinely thought that that's the color of the horse because you have bays, you have whites, you have palominos. We don't say dark. Oh, look, there's a dark horse over there. 
it's a black horse yeah. like or a bay or a chestnut <laughs> like it's i'm the logic when it comes to sayings the one he didn't tell you which i think is the absolute best one is that our son had a birthday party he got into the car and he said that his um his friend that he met was called taj and i said to bill that's a really nice name and i go but don't we know a taj and and bill's like what and i go that guy that we know taj taj and he goes like taj burrow is that like a surfer or someone is there like a famous person and i go no 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 we know him and he's like Oh, I don't know where you're getting at here. And I was like, Taj, like Mahal or something. And he goes, the Taj Mahal. I said, yeah, that's him. He goes, him? That's a fucking palace. And I was like, what? <laughs> I was like, no. He goes, you are the worst ever. And I had no idea. I thought that I knew some bloke called Taj, but I didn't. I did not. So they, they absolutely sting me for every wrong saying that I have. Apparently I've said... I'll lead you down the golden path, but that's not correct. Is that right? <laughs> so, wrong garden path? Much wrong. Oh, garden path. God. <laughs> golden path. I'm so, oh, yeah, so I'm always <laughs> just so close. But, yes, I am terrible at saying. He said he also asked me to ask you about the time you flew to the UK to watch him play at Wembley Stadium. <laughs> so you flew all the way over there, what, for 10 minutes of... I, yeah, but I have to backtrack. I had just had um, our son and he was old enough, so no one come at me here. I think he was like, I don't know, a year old or something two like days. that. Yeah, two days, <laughs> two days old. So um, I, I've already had my fair share of just being with the kids. Um, when I first had our first daughter, Tyler, Bill was playing for Australia, so he wasn't even home for the first five weeks. And then he had to film that TV show, Australia's Greatest Athlete. So if we backtrack to yeah. there, I've had my fair share of being at home with the kids. You know, this wag life that everyone talks about, it's not existed. Only there's like one event every now and again in a blue moon that we dress up. And um, anyway, so when Bill went over for his World Cup tour, which would last about seven or eight weeks, I had said to him, look, I think kids are at an age where we can leave them at your mum and dad's. They're, um, they'll have a nice time, you know, especially to spend some time with them as well. And I'll come over and I can spend the back end of the tour with you and we could, you know, stay on an extra week and do some travelling. Sounds great. I went down to Sydney, met up with a girl that I just met whose also husband was um, playing for Australia, Luke Lewis. We'd never known, we'd never met each other before. We just decided we'll just fly over and get to know each other on a 24-hour flight. We were such idiots because we we would ask at the desk, would we like a row to ourselves? We'd be like, no, 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 an exit row will be fine. We'll just sit next to each other and chat all the way. Unaware of how, like, insane that was Long. because 24 hours we had a stopover in um, Abu Dhabi and it was just torture. The whole flight was torture in economy. We couldn't even recline our chairs because we're in an exit row, so we couldn't even, like, sit back at all. We couldn't even lie down. It was a disaster. So we were so tired. By the time we got to England, Billy met us. You hated us. each other? Oh, yeah, we did. <laughs> we did become really good friends. But by the time we got there, we were so tired and jet lagged. The boys um, met us at the train station, not even at the airport. They told us we had to go in to this tube and we didn't even know what a tube was. Like, it was mind-blowing. Anyway, so we've ended up going over. This is my first time going properly overseas as well. I was terrified. Got to the hotel, woke up in the morning. Bill said, I'll meet you at the game. 
I wasn't even able to go see him. He's like, game day. Bill had this big thing about game day. So he got to do what he wanted. It was his day. God, I wish I had days like this. <laughs> My day today, Billy. Every month I should just come up with day. it. Mum's game day. Yeah. <laughs> so when, go shopping. Yeah, I should. I should just come up with some bullshit thing that it's my day. And I think I've got 16 years up my sleeve of this and they'll come once a week. Um, see him and anyway, he goes, I'll meet you at the stadium. So after the game, we'll get to catch up, but I'll meet you at the stadium. So I've ended up waking up at God knows what time and we didn't have much time. We had to get ready, go find where this train station was. Then we would take us straight to this stadium out at Wembley. So it was a fair bit of a hike from back in, I think, the heart of London. Anyway, the tube shut down. It Something happened. They said, everyone has to go to the surface. We're like, what do you mean? Like, we don't even know where we are. So as we go to the surface, there's a bus. And my friend goes, why don't we try and get on this bus? And as she jumps on, the guy goes, bus is full, shuts the doors. She's on the other side of the door and I'm on the outside. I was like, oh, my God, I don't know where I am. This is, like, not happening. So she gets kicked off. We finally get in a cab. We find our way to the stadium. It was a nightmare. We were 10 minutes late to the game. This stadium, I've never seen anything so big in my life. So it's taken us nearly five minutes just to walk up to the top tier. And as I sit down, Bill at the time, I'm I'm not a footy person, so I barely know where he is. Thank God he's at the back majority of the time. And he (laughs) used to wear orange boots, which... He's um, at the back hiding. Yeah, he was <laughs> getting away from everyone. So he used to wear orange boots, which would tell me pretty much where he was because I would never know. And all I was doing was sitting there trying to look for the orange boots. I knew that I'd missed the first 10 minutes, but usually I would barely watch it anyway, so it was fine. And then I was really puzzled to where he was. And I asked one of the girls, oh, does anyone know where Billy is? And the girl goes, oh, yeah, he got carried off like first two <laughs> minutes of the game. I said, sorry, what? So... I'm in a mad panic. I'm ringing now um, Frank Panisi or someone that was like their manager. And he's saying to me, yeah, uh, you can come downstairs in the sheds. So then I've made my way back down there and I'm looking at Billy and I said, like, what are you all right? What's happened? And he's got his collarbone. You could see it. It wasn't, it hadn't gone through the skin, but it was pretty disgusting. And he's like, yeah. oh, Dale, you know, I've, I think I've broken my collarbone. Um, and I started crying and he goes, oh, no, Dale, it's going to be all right. I'm going to be okay. And I go, I'm not worried about you. I'm not going home. I just bloody got here because he's telling me that we'll probably have to fly home the next day. And I said, bloody hell, we're going home. You can go home if that's what you want to do. But I'm bloody staying. I just, I'm not just going through a 24-hour flight and I literally haven't even been here for 24 hours and you're going to tell me we're going to go home. So I'm ripping in in the sheds. Meanwhile, half time comes and I'm still yarning away at Billy and the coach, the assistant coach, someone's come out like, shh, guys, be quiet. <laughs> anyway, so I remember sitting in a, I remember sitting in an ambulance all the way back to the hotel. Then we got to the hotel. We had to have these meetings with some specialist and he said, look, guys, I don't have my team here to operate until Monday. So if you're happy to wait, if you want to go back to your hotel and sit in your hotel room and wait two days until you, we can operate. So I'm sitting there going, you're kidding. Now I've got two days sitting in the hotel room. So I probably lasted about another maybe a few hours. And I said, you know what? I'm going out. I'm going to go catch a double-decker bus. game day. And I said, yeah. <laughs> I said, I'm going out sightseeing. You want to come? He was like, what? He'd broken his collarbone in five places. We were waiting for him to have an operation. I'd convinced the Melbourne Storm that he had to stay 
to get the operation here in London opposed to us flying back to Australia and getting the operation. <laughs> and I made him come out and sightsee with me on a double-decker bus while he had not had the operation. <laughs> <laughs> and I made him do everything. I was like, actually, this has come in my favour. Now you can come and travel with me. So we went to Paris. We went to Rome. We went to all the sightseeing that we wanted to see. And um, we, Bill went and, you know, obviously did some stuff with the World Cup while we were there. <laughs> so it yep. ended up Bill probably turning out all right. remember none of it. Yeah. He yeah, probably yeah, doesn't probably. remember anything because yeah, he was bombed up yeah, on drugs. Yeah, 100%. <laughs> but I, I honestly, looking back now, it was hilarious that that even happened. And like, I could, and he was like, Dal, I'm going to be okay. And I'm like, I'm not worried about you. I'm not going home. <laughs> yeah, I'm not <laughs> then, very sympathetic. Then, this, is, this, is, this is what I do with uh, my fishing trips. You take your wife out on a really rough day and then she never wants to go out oh, ever again. <laughs> oh, you're an ass. So I think you, this is what Billy did to you. No, but do you, <laughs> do you know what's funny is I am the worst viewer on a boat. I just can't. I can't. It doesn't matter what I do. I can never stop vomiting. But I'm so happy just burling up, catching more fish and just keep going. I don't go home. It doesn't, it doesn't upset me. <laughs> yeah, you, you did all right the couple of times you went out with us. Yeah, yeah. Um, so remember one more Billy story at the reef there. He hooked the bottom and he just kept pulling it and winding. It. He's going, It's pretty big, this one. And he just kept pulling it. And the, and the ratchet's gone, I'm like, Billy, you got the bottom, buddy. <laughs> I said, You're pulling your heart, it'll be bloody walking home. <laughs> oh my God. He He's just like the most competitive person I've ever met. Like, if anything, he'd just be like having us all on that he's got the biggest fish and it. It wouldn't matter, matter if it's a game of Monopoly at home. It wouldn't matter what it is. He's just got to win. He's going to be the fastest. He's just really annoying. He is. If anyone ever oh, asks, just... you know, what, what's it like, you know, people get really excited. What's it like? And I go, well, the shit's the same. And, he, you know, he does everything the same as everyone else. But he's just really annoying. He's very competitive. That's the only difference. <laughs> really good at stuff. Yeah, he is. <laughs> he's just really good at stuff. I even noticed when he went spearing with us, he picked it up, like, pretty quick and he's yeah. down the bottom and. Yeah. Like everything you up real quick. Our son and, is well, we went so our son's the exact same. It's really annoying. Yep. He just picks up everything <laughs> like instantly. I'm hopeless. And anything that they're bad at, they blame me. Oh, that's mum's traits. So if they can't run, <laughs> oh, we got mum's legs. The same in my family as well. Blame my wife as soon as yeah. the kid's naughty. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're all the same. I, I gave it to them the other day um, when we were at the shopping centre. We were talking about the Olympics coming up. I said, you know what? If it wasn't for you kids, I'd be at the Olympics now. And they were like, what? Doing what? They think I'm the most unathletic person ever. I said, I was really That's good true. at horse riding back in my day. I was really good. I was actually better than your dad. And they're like, oh, of course you were, mum. I said, no, nah, if it wasn't for you, I'd be at the Olympics. <laughs> so that's, <laughs> that's my joke with them at the moment. They think I'm hopeless. So you, you you, where did you meet? You meet at... Uh, Pony Club or somewhere? Yeah, yeah. So, um, small world, North Queensland. But yeah, he's. Um, I I grew up riding and competing, but it all starts at Pony Club. I think everyone's the same. But honestly, it's the best time of your life, Pony Club. Fastest horse wins. Bill says that the ratio was amazing because it was fifty girls to four boys. So he's like, mate, I was smart. <laughs> I think the name really uh, lets you down, Pony Club. I think it maybe yeah. doesn't sound so manly. But, you know, Bill's very proud of his Pony Club days. 
So he used to get picked up by some mutual friends and brought to some of the um, gym carners, they're called. So um, we would all just all hang out. And like I said before, I was a tomboy. So we were all just kids playing. I mean, we used to play bull rush. Oh, God. Here we go again. <laughs> hey, Billy. The truck driver's here. Can you unload those drawers for me, please? I'm still doing stuff. Hurry up, Billy. Yeah, God, do something, will you? <laughs> okay, we're back. Um, what was I blabbering on about? I can't even remember. It was probably a lie. Uh, the days you're throwing horseshit at each other and stuff like that. Oh, yeah, just, no. well, yeah. <laughs> Pretty much. But, yeah, so we were 13. We've kind of tried to figure that out. We reckon we were 13 back then. And then I went on to do what they call hacking. doesn't sound glamorous, but it's all the um, the glamour side of horse riding. You plait your horse's mane, you put makeup on your horse, you get dressed up. And I did that right up until pretty much left home. And Billy went the other way. I think he went back to football. I don't know. He's written a book. It's in there somewhere. He went back to football and then... Went back to horses. No, it, no, a book. <laughs> yeah, got a couple of books. Um, he, he went to Gay Waterhouse for a while, so he still dabbled in horses. And I think he was towing up between horses and footy. And I think he got homesick. And then he went back home and he had one more crack at footy, which obviously the rest is history for there. So Billy and I didn't know each other there for a few years. But then he went to Port Douglas. And because I never actually followed football, I was aware that Billy was playing football, but I didn't understand, you know, the level that he was playing or understand any of it really. So when he went to Port Douglas, I think for New Year's or something, he'd run into some mutual friend and he'd asked, this is where this is where he tells another version of this story, but I'm telling the truth. He asked someone where I was. Yes. <laughs> and what else is in your notes? And he asked someone where I was or something like that. And he got my number and he tracked me down. So then he calls me to tell me that he's coming up to North Queensland for a trial game when the Melbourne Storm came and played at, is it Kazali's? Was that the place? Yeah, Kazali's the big yeah, yeah, oval there, yeah. maybe. So something something like that. And um, and he was um, saying, well, when I come up, do you want to catch up and um, we can hang out? So that's literally the first weekend we reunited after God knows how many years. I remember one of my questions was, oh, yeah, so what have you been doing and blah, blah, blah. And he's like, oh, yeah, I play footy. Oh, yeah, so what do you do for work? He goes, I play footy. Nah, nah, that's your hobby. Okay, so what do you do for work? Like I was living under a rock at this point. <laughs> and, then he, and then he said, you, and you do what? Art. Yeah. Oh, my God. Yes. <laughs> do you know how funny it is when you fill out forms for your kid's school and they go, what are your parents' occupation? I would always write artist footballer and i would just leave it at that and everyone would be like how the bloody hell are these people existing like does this even make any money <laughs> so um yeah the rest is history we had one weekend we hung out we did one year long distance which was like you know probably unheard of these days i don't know if people still do that but i just knew that i was not moving to melbourne i i had just had an art studio built for me my dad built me my first art studio in our horse paddock and I was so happy that I just had set my business up. And the last thing I was going to do is leave it all for a boy. And um, I remember Billy had asked me to move in with him after the end of the year. And I thought, oh, 
I don't really want to just move in. I think I'll come down for a trial. And he was like, what? <laughs> I said, Troll game. I was like, I'm not, I'm not coming to move all of my stuff to Melbourne if I don't like it. I'll come down for two weeks. I will see if I like it. And if I like it, I'll move down. But if not, I'm not coming. So went down for my two-week trial. Cooper Cronk was living with us at the time. Um, and then yeah. I made the decision that I would move in and Cooper left and I moved in. So the rest kick is history Cooper after out. that. <laughs> yeah, kick Cooper out. <laughs> then he got the stalks and went to bloody North uh, uh, Roosters. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But that was like 16 the reason, years. Man. Yeah, 16 years later. <laughs> that was that long. <laughs> that. He held a grudge that whole time. <laughs> Nicole's fault. Oh, God. <laughs> No, it's um, it's crazy how it all has, you know, worked itself out. And even now, I still freak out what a full circle it's become. So we spent 16 years in the city, you know, Bill's doing his thing. And now we're living on our farm and we've um, established uh, our slate of thoroughbreds, which is our breeding. And it's crazy just how, like, that's something Billy dreamed of doing as a kid, like a little alone getting a horse as a child and it's led him to where we are today it's unbelievable but like his work ethic is insane like that's why we are where we are too you know we um I still remember when he, when he first moved away from up here he moved down to brisbane to play in norse and he was actually being a courier yes in between that yep so in between playing there's a courier during the day yep and i don't and so. people wouldn't know but he you know he would eat barbecue sauce with rice for a lot, like every night, because he just didn't have the money to go out and sometimes have like a proper meal. But he would just hustle, like he just makes it work. And like he's still got that in him. Like no matter what we apply today, we're both like that to a degree. We just hustle. We're just like, no, we won't take no for an answer, and we'll we'll do our best. Um, to make things work for ourselves. So in a nice way, not in a nasty way. (laughs) (laughs) That's a good life lesson to anyone who's listening out there. Just, um, yeah, keep hustling. Yeah. Like, I mean, nothing's been handed to either of us. Like, I I didn't, you don't just get an art career. Like, I'm still 20 years in the making. Let's not forget that. And I still, in my opinion, haven't made it, even though I've done some pretty cool stuff. And for Bill, I still know today on his last week before he retired, he's still behind doing his extras, still doing everything he could to improve his game. And even today, yeah. he's still so invested in the game that he helps yeah. players, he's helping people constantly. So he's still perfecting what he did on the field, now off the field, to pass it on to the next generation. Like He could be selfish and go, no, nah, I'm never going to improve anyone's game. But the way he sees it is he could fast-track someone so someone that has come yeah. through the storm, they could probably spend 10 years to get to where Billy ended his career, but he can fast track, yeah. download all of his information into their brain and within a year they could be at his like time that took him 10 years because he almost like reinvented yeah. his role and now he's just almost downloading it onto all these players, which is such a selfless thing to do and like that's the sort of person he is. So Yeah, and also noticing Ryan Pappenhausen this year. Yeah. How much his game's coming. Yeah. I think Billy's probably a very big part of his career. Yeah. So yeah. It's good to see. Hang on. When did this turn a- about us fucking bloody, you know, making oh, bloody- him feel good? <laughs> yeah. Stop All right. Him. Let's get away from him. Let's talk about the thoroughbreds. <laughs> oh God. Um, yes. Oh, uh, the- I'm not very so, okay. I remember his 
only like a year or so you had your first foal? Yeah, I think there's a, there might be a few. Uh, we've had some, you know, ones in between, I think, and then we got real serious. So Bill's um, plan, because I'm not into the racing as big as him, so when it comes to the names of the horses, I'm still learning it all. But I know that we made the decision that buying our farm, we wanted a small boutique high-end breeding farm. Yep. We didn't want to go huge. Like there's some pretty major studs and they've just got thousands of acres and they've got thousands of mares and thousands of stallions. We didn't want to do that. So because I'm the one that manages the farm, the kids, we don't have help. We don't have cleaners come in. We, you know, we, it's just us all the time. Yeah. So we wanted to make sure it's very manageable for me because Bill still travels a fair bit. So we invested yeah. in two really good mares. We've been able to now um, put one of our mares to Redoute's Choice, who sadly passed away, but we were the one to get the last of his crops, um, which yeah. is the one that we sold at Magic Millions, I think it was last year or something like that. And then we've, um, at the moment, any day now, we are waiting for our first Snitzel foal, which is actually Redoots' son, who's now become the king yep. of stallions, um, and all the other, like, stallion names I can't remember. So there's some pretty high-end stuff, so we're really excited that we can produce some top quality. Um, so, yeah, quality over quantity is our theory at the moment. Are they all put in by a straw or a vet administers by a straw? And No, it's actually illegal. In racing, it is illegal <laughs> for um, artificial insemination. So it all has to be oh. done in live covers. Now, anyone in the horsey world, I found it quite fascinating when I was introduced to the thoroughbred side. The stallion stays where they are. So if the stallion's in Victoria, New South Wales, Queensland, wherever they are, the mare, the girl, has to go to it yeah. because it can cover up to six mares a day, but only yeah. for three months of that year because that's when they all get. It's like the breeding season. Yeah. So some the of rats. the yeah, well, some of the stallions are worth, um, you know, for a cover they can range from a hundred thousand to two hundred to three hundred thousand, depending on how big the stallion is, just for a cover. So you want to yeah. make sure that that cover is done correctly. And so how they do it is they basically have six men around tying down the mare, making sure that everyone is safe, making sure that the mare is safe and the stallion is safe. There's a tease pony that comes in. Yeah. Um, it's a pretty <laughs> full-on event, but um, it is a profession. And um, when we've, we have seen covers quite a few times and yeah. accidentally took the kids a couple of times. <laughs> <laughs> that was their way of like learning. The the, they, they, learned the, they learned the birds and the bees very quickly. <laughs> they were like, oh, okay, yeah, right. That's okay. What are we watching here? And I, I was just more thinking this is our world. This is our industry. It was a very easy yeah. transition of there's the birds and the bees right there. So, um, <laughs> uh, but, yeah, it's a pretty controlled world. So, yeah, it's illegal. Otherwise, it would probably be unfair if you could do the artificial inseminations because you could probably yep. pick and choose what stallion and where you want it from overseas if you couldn't get to them. And I think it helps protecting the old horses that their progeny is no longer available, you know, so you can't just be tapping into steel into their sperm even though they've passed. That would be an advantage, yep. I would say. Oh no, I didn't know. I didn't know none of that. So yeah, it's pretty. <laughs> it's, pretty it's a very technical world, I think, because there's so much money involved. So it's um, yeah. it has to be. It has to be as fair as it can be. You know, that's and then mm. it's probably keeps the value up for some of them as well. Yeah. 
I only know, oh, I only know yeah. a very little about it as well. <laughs> so, <laughs> so what sort of, uh, so how, how long before you can start riding one of these horses? How old do they have to be? Well, our Redoute's Choice uh, little foal that we had, we had him, so our job, what our industry is, we keep the mums, which are the mares, we get them pregnant, they come back to us, it's a, that's why they're called brood mares, they actually come back to us with a foal at their feet and pregnant again. So right now our two yep. mares are up at um, New South Wales, they're waiting to have their babies get foaled down, what do they call Three yeah. weeks after they're fold down, they get covered again by the stallion. They come back, they wait 40 days to be um, tested that they are pregnant and then they get shipped back to us. So we will then have our mares back in a couple of months with foals at their feet. We grow them out, which means we have them here at our farm. We watch them and handle them. Once the foal is probably, it could be three months, four months, we start handling that foal, like not in a way to ride it, but we are starting yeah. to learn this horsemanship stuff and we're finding it's going to help the horse down the track to not be anxious about things and it could help it um, in racing then as well because it's just not overthinking and wasting energy on things it doesn't need. So yeah. we found with our Redoute's Choice file, we handled him uh, with a head collar. We had done the weaning, which is taking the foal away from its mum at, at one-year-old roughly, um, and we just yeah. so happened that we had rescued a quarter horse, which we ended up putting in the paddock with our thoroughbred, which was the most bizarre combination, but they were the bestest of friends. So Billy yeah. and I were both working on the horses at the same time at one-year-old. So we were leading them around. We'd brought the float down. We were learning. We were teaching them how to get on and off floats. We were not riding them by all means, but we are just doing as crazy things as we could, get hessian bags, get tarps, make them walk over it. You can do all of that stuff on the ground at a young age yep. just to get them to start to trust you and build that connection and and then hopefully it would help him because he didn't seem too fazed about things. By the time we had sent him off, um, because we're a small farm, we could put so much effort in these horses and by the time he got picked up and sent away for sale, he was the most cruisiest dude ever. And he's been, we've yeah. been given the updates, he's doing really well. So I think as a two-year-old, that's when they technically break them in, which is getting them yeah. ready to ride under saddle and start actually working as a racehorse. So, Because oh, yeah. so, they're highly strung, the old racehorse, aren't they? Yeah. They're, they're yeah. Just, you see them they walk around the yard, they're like yeah. ready to go. Yeah. <laughs> but like we were talking about before, there's left brain and right brain thinkers, right? Yeah. So I'm either creative or you're either probably really super intelligent, but you have no communication skills. <laughs> so you pick which one you want to be. Horses are very similar. They, they either are left brain or right brain horses. So it's a matter of figuring that out very quickly of what your horse is. And then it helps you to how you train that horse and how you can adapt um, a method into what's the best way of getting the best out of your horse if you just can work that out very fast. So it's, yeah. um, it's pretty cool that we're learning all of this, like we've been rescuing these animals and we've been able to put these things into practice and it's working and it's just amazing the connection you can make with a horse. And we rescued the Palomino, who was, she was eight, and she'd fold down the paint, which we have Leo, and Bill and I both broke them in. And, um, like, they're not even a year into having, like, um, us looking after them and I can do everything with them both, everything. 
So they're, um, it's just really nice to have that um, side of thinking, you know, they're not just a racehorse, it's not just a business, we're not just here to make money and turn them out. So we love the idea of having them here at home, connecting with them and working with them and trying to make them a better horse so that after life, like bloody athletes, life after footy, yeah. they've got to do something. So for a thoroughbred, mm. it's like life for them after that. You know, they've got to be able to not be such a nutter that people would like them as a riding horse, you know. Yeah. So hopefully we can instill some manners into our horses and get them to a point that after after racing, they have that instilled into them from the get-go to be nice horses. It's yeah. really good. Yeah. With the, um, we also I remember when we went out fishing, you – you were talking about inventions and we we'll talk we we made about three inventions up in the boat on we're like out, I remember when we're out out at sea we got a they should have a buoy on each reef you swim to it and there should be a button to press if you wanna get saved. Yeah, mate. These are these are just like everyday life with me, right? And probably you, like I reckon our minds just are like hundred miles an hour. Um, yeah, and so pretty much I had come up another idea. Like I swear to God, the ideas always come at like 2 in the morning or something and you're like, oh, I've got the best idea ever. And it just so happened that Billy was playing footy as usual. They just got knocked out. The Warriors had beat them going into the grand final. Don't quote me what year it was. We walked into the sheds and it's like a bloody funeral in there so i was just i was literally just sitting there going i have an idea i have an invention like i want to put it into place and we're really good friends with jerry ryan who basically just knows how to make things work he's just um he established jayco here in australia he's part owner of the storm he's um owns pretty much everything so while everyone's standing in the sheds moping around uh, my brain's ticking about this invention that I'd been thinking about <laughs> and I thought oh, I've got an idea I'm going to go talk to Jerry about it I'm going to ask him how do I make this thing actually come to life like this is cool I reckon it's a great idea so I'm picking Jerry's brain in that moment and he's like yeah I, I like it he goes um let's let's set up a meeting and let's let's go over it I think it took me four years to get this thing up and running it's because it was the first of its kind and it was something that I wanted to do correctly, have it patent, go to lawyers, get the thing created from nothing. And, and I just didn't know where to go to do that. So um, four years, it was called the Nick Switch. It was a, a cover that went over the PowerPoint to stop the children from flicking the switch on and off because I was experiencing yeah. that with the kids at that time. They were just driving me mad. They were going up to any PowerPoint. They would just sit there and flick it on and off. Didn't matter how many toys you give them. And I know you can still put the little plastic things inside it, but I just didn't believe it was good enough. So I went down the path of making sure that the plastic wasn't going to burn your house down because even the little plugs, I kid you not, they're not actually being certified by anyone. Like I went through every loophole like – not loophole, that sounds bad. Loophole's the, ba- the, wa- the bad thing. <laughs> Hang on, retract <laughs> this that. This is your saying. You're going down the golden path. Oh, again. God, <laughs> I should never have said it. But, yeah, I went down every avenue that was trying to make it the best thing. So I made sure that the plastic was good. I made sure I was um, getting the tick of Australian standards. Like I wanted to go down that path. And I actually got to a point where they said to me, oh, you've, you've passed everything, but um, the radius around a PowerPoint has to be so big. 
uh, around the actual plug itself. So you fail that. I said, yeah, but I fail it because I've reinvented it. So therefore I mm. should still get the tick of approval because I've actually re it's like reinventing the wheel. You, your, your list of things that I have to tick off, one of them isn't relevant for me. Anyway, so they said, oh, yeah. we can't really give you the tick of approval because of that. I was like, all right, whatever. So it did go in Bunnings. It went Australia-wide. It was selling and all of that, but it kind of dwindled down. It made me realise how unfair businesses work. Bunnings have the biggest margin ever. That's how they obviously have these giant sheds everywhere. I was making a dollar. They were making 11. And I was like, yeah. that's not really what I was, you know, maybe in for. <laughs> um, so I kind of just let that fizzle out for now. Who knows? I might pick it back up. But at the moment, it was one of those things I went, I invented something. And I actually had it to market and I was selling it. Like, I couldn't believe I did it. It was like, how many people out there have an idea and think, that's a bloody good idea. And then they just don't do anything about it. So I thought it was pretty cool. <laughs> or you have an idea, you Google it and it already exists. <laughs> Oh, yeah, I do that nearly every second day. <laughs> I know. I've got a, a thing on my phone called Inventions and I write it in there and then I'll Google it a bit later. I'm like, oh, damn it, fucking in here. Yeah, I hate, I hate nothing worse than the idea popped into my mind and then 10 years later it exists and that someone is actually making millions out of it. You're like, really? That was one of my ideas. Did I tell someone about that idea? <laughs> I I invented this one. No one knows that I invented it. It's called Bitcoin. Oh, get out. <laughs> oh, shit. I just let it slip. Oh, well, no. no one knows who invented it. I'm pretty sure it was me. Oh, wow. <laughs> Do you know what's actually funny is um, when we were in Fiji was that I um, we were I was taking photos of Billy surfing the whole time. And this, um, these um, guys were swimming past on their, on their surfboards. And we had the big boat out every day. So we would just have a little... Um, Fijian guy you know take us out every day and this guy swims past I said oh mate hey how are you I accidentally took heaps of photos of you I thought you were my husband because I think they had the similar color rashes on and he was an American guy and he's like oh yeah and the other guy goes oh nice camera and I go yeah I um I got some good shots like I mean we're at a pretty cool location would you like them I'll email them to you if you like otherwise I'll just delete them I don't really care anyway so yeah. he says his email which I won't, I won't disclose, but at the end it had said gopro.com. Anyway, and I was like, all right, no worries, and laughed it off, and then he um, went on his jet ski and he pissed off back to the island. What I noticed was there was a very giant luxury boat, yacht, I don't know, ship off the bloody island that we were staying at, and then it so happened to be that the guy who invented GoPro was on that boat. And the guy who gave me his email was also the name of the guy who met to go <laughs> So I ended up finding out that this guy was the co-founder inventor of GoPro that I accidentally took photos of and he gave me his email and I just happened to then go I ended up emailing him when I got home. Hey mate, just checking if this is the guy I met in Fiji before I sent the photos. He replied, still the same guy. I'm like, sweet, <laughs> there's your photos. <laughs> I could not believe it. But he didn't it. want them because they weren't taken on a GoPro. Mate, probably not. <laughs> but I actually thought this guy has invented, which is probably today, I don't even know what it's worth, but he was a pretty genuine guy. He might have proper professional photos from helicopters, God knows what yeah. of him surfing. And he was actually willing to still accept my dodgy-ass photos. 
and um, he was more than happy to give me his email and I just thought it was just like such a random thing like to meet someone like at that level like of you know just crazy so anyway never bothered him again <laughs> but you just never <laughs> That's know what you said to him. I've invented this cover that can go over the top of your GoPro <laughs> safety switch. <laughs> Let's call it Nick Pro. I think we're onto something here. Let's give him a call. Oh, God. But sometimes you just never know, I'll right? Now. I'll oh. zoom him in now. Yeah, let's, I'll just, yeah, let's just bring him in. It is actually funny, though, because I heard that he, he was doing it tough when he wanted to make his invention. He borrowed money off um, one of his friends to get it up and running, but he promised the guy in 10 years because he was so adamant it was going to be successful, instead of just saying, I'll just pay you the money back, he said, I will, I'll give you 10% of what my company is worth in 10 years. Like that was the agreement. Apparently it was like yeah. millions and millions <laughs> and he did it. He actually yeah. did like true to this word. It is documented online. I really don't know the figures, but I thought, what a guy, really. Like yeah. that's pretty amazing. Like you know, there's probably other stories that people don't follow through, but it was. I just thought he was a really genuine guy. I thought, wow, when you said I got the email, and you're like, his last name was Slater as well. <laughs> <laughs> could you? Yeah, could you imagine? Oh God! Don't worry, the kids think we're related to Kelly Slater, so we're not. <laughs> we're not. <laughs> Out of Hawaii, he come born in Florida, I think. <laughs> yeah, I think. Well, Billy actually met him. He came to one of the Origin games. Yeah. So Billy went over. We've got a mutual friend, um, Michael Crawley. He used to do all the tours with Quicksilver and all the surf boys. So he became really good friends with Kelly. And so he was at the Origin with him. And um, Bill went over and was like, "Oh, hey, mate. You know, he wasn't playing at the time." Bill goes, "Oh, you know, can I grab a photo?" Kelly's like, yeah, no worries. He's got a photo with Billy. Mind you, it's the blurriest photo I've ever got. So I was like, oh, God. And then Kelly turned around and said, oh, mate, can I get a photo with you too? And got a photo off his camera. So I was like, oh, my God, Kelly actually knows who you are. And I think they follow each other on social media. So it's actually quite funny. <laughs> can we use your photo, Kelly? <laughs> yeah, I, was, I should probably track him down and go, mate, how's the shit? How's yours? Did yours turn out all right? I know a guy that has GoPros if you like. <laughs> Yeah. Oh, mate. But that's the thing, right? You never know sometimes who you're talking to. Like, really. I've been in these situations many times. So, you know how you guys have a go at me about my sayings? This one will top it off for you, right? I've just been in very <laughs> weird situations and I've been around people that I probably shouldn't be around with my knowledge, right? So we're at one of the grand yep. finals. It was the Cowboys versus whoever. They won the grand final that year. So Billy wasn't playing, but he was asked to go up and do a bit of a speech at the corporate area. So here I am with the kids sitting around, whatever. Bill's, you know, having his chat. And at that time, I had just invented the Nick switch. And I was um, talking about going on the Today Show. Covering, you covering the PowerPoints in the stadium. Yes, yeah. <laughs> literally walking around there's a powerpoint there's a powerpoint <laughs> doing my numbers in my head um and lisa wilkinson was there because bill had the relationship with channel nine i was talking to her about potentially going on the today show doing a bit of media blah 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 so we're having that conversation and as i'm mid conversation this guy comes out of nowhere and he interrupts and lisa stops talking to me to talk to this guy and i thought 
this is rude. Like I was mid-conversation here. Like you can't just walk over here and all of a sudden everyone stops to talk to you. I'm unaware of probably security with this person. Like I'm trying to paint a picture. Like I'm unaware of who this person is. Meanwhile, I can't hide much with my face. I'm very like I've got a lot of expression on my face. If I'm pissed off, you're going to know. Or like, you know, like I don't, I, I'm not, I don't have a good poker face. So I'm about to... Well, excuse me. And this guy is looking at me like I have to introduce myself to him. So I was a little bit like, whatever. Anyway, it turns out Bill walks over right in the middle of it and he goes, oh, hi, Lisa, how are you? And then he turns around and he's like, oh, hi, so-and-so. And then he looks at me and he goes, do you know who that is? And I go, no, but he's bloody rude. I turn, he goes, all right, see you guys. And he just shuffles me away. And he goes, did you know who that was? And I was like, No. Anyway, it turns out that it was one of our prime ministers. <laughs> but I didn't, I can't even remember right now who it was, but it was one. Who, Wait, no, no one can remember back 10 years because there's 50 between now and 10 no, years ago. <laughs> but it was one, it was like our recent, not, not today's, I've met today's. Today's is Scott Morrison, right? It Reckon was, it, it was the be. one, two before him. It was like. Budgie smugglers. Can't remember his name. No, no. I think it was Artie. Anyway, Bill would remember. Oh, God, I can't remember his name right now. But it was hilarious because he only apparently just became our prime minister. So I was like, oh, please, Billy. And I was like, he just walks over and expects me to introduce myself. (laughs) And all I remember was Lisa was like, oh, my God, thank you so much for giving us the first interview. We really appreciate it. And I was just standing there going, what about my story about the next switch? So, yeah, I find myself in some pretty crazy situations and, like, you know, that's the fun side of it. I'm like a fly on the wall. I should never be there, but I am, and I'm always in good company. But, yeah, it's pretty funny. No, and I didn't want to bring it down a bit, but you had a really good relationship with your father. Yeah. he tragically passed a few years ago. Yeah. Well, the way I see it, honestly, is it's not bringing it down for me, maybe for anyone listening, but it's an opportunity if I get to talk about it because when someone passes, yeah. if you can't, if you don't bring it up, you never get to speak of them. So, yeah, my dad and I were very close growing up. He's he's like, he was my artist in the family. I know that was one of your questions. Is anyone creative? He was. He was so creative with his hands. He built us horse floats from the ground up, like not like buy a shell and then build it. He built the shell. He was an engineer and mechanic. He worked in the Navy. Uh, We actually lived in Tonga for the first three years of my life because he was in the Navy. And, um, yeah, he pretty much taught me everything I know today. So um, he was my soulmate, obviously, and then Bill's picked up from him. But, um, yeah, he tragically rode um, up the Daintree. Um, There's a famous bike ride called the Ulysses bike ride that they do. And just so happened yeah. that um, a colleague at work had asked him if he'd like to join him for that trip. Dad was always riding motorbikes since he was 20. So he um, decided it was a nice afternoon on a Sunday. I mean, it's a beautiful drive from Cairns to the Daintree. So the only silver lining for me was, you know, what a way to go. Like it was a beautiful day. He had a, he had a nice day at the pub. No one whinge and nagging. It was with a couple of mates and, he unfortunately went off the edge one kilometre off yep. the um, after the pub. So it was when I was 21. So I look back on that time as well that Billy and I had 
really only been together for a year and a half, not even two years. And mind you, like I said, we, we spent one year long distance. So yeah. there was a lot of pressure on us as a couple younger and um, dad passing away was life-changing for me. Um, but, yeah, just looking back on those moments and how, you know, what doesn't kill you make you strongest sort of a thing because what Bill and I have gone through on, off the field, all that sort of stuff is, I mean, I just think it makes you who you are today. You either accept it as a, a learning curve um, I don't, you know, how they say things happen for a reason. I don't know what that reason was, but it has made me the person I am today. And I'm proud of that person today because I think that makes my dad proud. I always do things to look back at how can I do him proud, you know, because he was the one who believed in me the most with my career and, you know, he built me an art studio when I was not painting what I'm painting today. So it is always those sad moments when he missed everything. He, He at least met Bill. That was one thing I held very close was that I was with the person he last seen me with you know that was really important to me but he um I know that there's those little moments like falling pregnant for the first time or like but I talk about my dad so much with my kids it actually feels like they know him like they talk about him they bring him up so much like we always joke and you know talk about his sense of humor and you know so he's very much alive in my house and having moments where you know how you have signs when someone passes, like what's the sign to them? So because he died on, died on the Ulysses bark ride, a Ulysses butterfly is my sign for him. Really? And I've had a lot of very strange moments with Ulysses butterflies, so it's um, my sign for dad. But, um, yeah, very, very unfortunate. I'm sure there'd be people listening that have lost a very close one, but um, I'm very fortunate for my family that I have today. I have to, you know, you just don't take things for granted anymore. You learn. I learnt very young how to grow up very quickly. So yeah, no. that's that's good. Thanks for telling us that. That's really good. No worries. Heartfelt. Ho- hopefully, it helps <laughs> anyone. I know. And so, you know what? The biggest advice when people lose someone so close, I I only can go off my experience because everyone's different. And I just think time. Time was my enemy when Dad died because I wanted it to go really fast. I just wanted to get as far away as possible as his died. I just wanted to be years in front. I just wanted to get over it. But then time became my best friend. It's just time heals. Like I can talk about my dad without having a meltdown. Like I can, and that's just time. So I'm unfortunately I, I can't even tell you how long it's been now. He died in 2006. Not very good at maths. I'm not even going to try and go there right now. <laughs> but it's nearly 14 years or something like that. So it's um, <laughs> 16 yeah. years. 16. I'm so smart. Uh, 15. <laughs> <laughs> I said 14. You said 15. I, I, I must be a little bit arty too. I'm using the wrong side of my brain. <laughs> <laughs> I love how now that's going to be everyone's excuse from now on. If anything goes so wrong, arty. you're like, it's fine. I'm arty. It's totally fine. I'm an artist. <laughs> uh, yeah. Um, Hopefully one day I can get Billy on here, but all um, contracts and stuff won't let him chat with us. Hey, yeah. mate, like we said at the beginning, I'm the best thing. I'm, I am the next, well, not the next best <laughs> thing. I am the best thing. <laughs> I'm the best, and then you're just going to get the, the shitty after story off Billy. Look, you know what you're going to get? You're going to get the correct political stories, and you're going to get the ones that are boring and have all been said before. I think this is where we we can really have a lot more fun. Big up the dirt. Yeah. I know we're actually quite we're not kind. Even to buy him. Not even gonna buy him. No. <laughs> Just chuck it up. Yeah. 
Yeah. It's all, it's all hearsay. We might have not even happened, all this, all these stories. Allegedly, all these stories happened. God, mate, I'm reading <laughs> it myself half the time going, wow, did that really? Oh, wow, look what's in the paper today. Like, I'm just like, seriously, it must be a slow news day, really. Like, I remember there was, um, I, think, I think the blessing is we live in Victoria, right? No one really cares about rugby league in Victoria. Well, they didn't. It is growing because of my husband and a couple of other people. But it's, it is one of those things that we got the best of both worlds. We got to, Bill got to do his career. I could go down to the shops with Billy and not be bothered. And you could just live a normal life. So we actually really loved living in Victoria because of that. And Victoria has been amazing. We've been able to do things like with our horses. It's very arty. There's always sports here, even though I talked it down earlier. Um, it is a great place to be. But, yeah, I just found that um, the stories would not really go in the paper. Like anything that we did, it, it wouldn't make the paper where I find that people back in North Queensland or uh, not North Queensland, Brisbane and Sydney, that's all they talk about is rugby players and yeah. what they're getting in trouble for and this and that. So we lived a very good life where Bill could, we could have the best of both worlds. And then every now and again, we'd pop up in the paper and I'd just be reading it like everyone else, learning whatever they've written. So I'd be, oh, wow, apparently this happened and apparently this <laughs> happened. But there's nothing you can do about it. It's the most bizarre thing ever that you're down at a beach yeah. in Sydney, then next minute your photo's online with the kids. And I was like, what? How did, where did this guy come from? Like, you know, this is some weirdo hiding in a trash can at Bondi Beach getting photos. And I was disappointed because I had so many good angles of yeah. that photo. Give me a big angle if you want. Do you know what photo they put in the bloody magazine? The worst possible angle ever. And I was like, oh, God damn it. There were, like, so many others. Like, even the one with my bikini up my ass. Like, they could have gone with that. I would have been happy. Like, me bending over, putting sunscreen on the kids, I would have been happy with that. Like. But the one they choose is the worst looking one. So, um, yeah, I've, I've learned early not to bite back. I've, I've got many stories. I mean, we could be here all day about the time Bill ended up in jail. What's, yeah, what's one funny one you've read about yourself and you're thinking, what the hell, or, or, or about Billy? What's, what do you like? This is just way yeah. over the top. Well, I remember the... Um, I remember the one that we're talking about with the Bondi incident. So they took all these photos and they ended up putting out this image of me in a magazine. They never said anything bad, but it was this photo and I looked at it and I went, that's not how I see myself. And so I went back to the photos of the day that I've taken and the other paparazzi shots and I went, that's a bit unfair. I think they've added a bit more weight as well as the bad angle. Okay. So I was a little bit disheartened. I was a bit upset. Like, oh, you know, I didn't ask for this photo. I didn't know that anyone was around. I don't give a shit. I wore 20-year-old bikinis. I've, I've not done my hair and makeup. Like, people deliberately go down to get photos. Sometimes they get ready for it. I'm not. I look homeless 90% of the time. Um, so I was, a bit, I was a bit startled with that. So what happened was, is I'm unaware of probably our reach sometimes. So we went to Bali. So I've got a new bikini and I decided, well, I will take a photo of myself in a bikini and I will, I, I will portray that what I think I look like. And I, you know, didn't do anything to the photo. I just posted it. And unaware again how far sometimes social media can go, it ended up double page spread, full colour of Sydney Morning Herald Sun. Um, this photo of me in a bikini. <laughs> I was like, whoops, 
I was like, Bill's like, this is exactly why we don't do these sort of things. And I was like, oh. <laughs> I was like, well, anyway, you know, that's good coverage, you know, full colour in the Sydney Morning Herald. <laughs> Look at this, you can see me open the page oh, and open my legs. Oh, my God. I know. I was like... <laughs> real moments i was like oh my god what have i done what have i done so um i have had a few moments like that let's be honest but it's it's just you just got to remember to like you know sometimes there's more people listening it's like doing these things like there's always more people listening than you think you forget how far things reach and then obviously things just get taken out of context or they they get written from an old article and they get put into another saying that you've quoted like it's People can just do whatever yeah. they want these days. So you had to learn pretty quickly to have thick skin, you know, <laughs> like, so, yeah, or you learn where your friends are. Like if you're saying something to someone that it ends up somewhere and you're just going, oh, my God, like who could be bothered? Like my life's not that exciting. It's like, <laughs> like I said, I look, I'm, I, I, other than the farm and I work and we run our, our own stuff all the time, it's not that exciting. <laughs> So, yeah. and you get these one moments where you get to dress up. Mind you, that's a good one for you. I'm sorry, we're keeping this really long. But the um, Dally M, last game ever. This is a great insight. Last week ever of Bill's career. Do you remember what happens? He supposedly shoulder charges someone into the corner, gets told he can't play in the grand final in the last game of his ever career. So that week was hell. We were up most of the nights till two three in the morning this is mind you a ticking time bomb to the grand final this is one week out of the grand final for the first two days bill is up to all hours of the night getting me to edit every angle of this footage so that he can understands and he has to stand up in court and explain to him you know what happened where, where his mind's at and all that so obviously he's not preparing for a grand final i'm at the same time i put I sort of would dress myself for all these awards, do my own hair and makeup, had five minutes to get ready because we were always landing in Sydney and we've got to be rushed out. I had eyelashes coming off on red carpets sometimes. Like I <laughs> honestly just couldn't care. So on the very last Dally M awards, I said to Billy, I would like to hire a stylist. And I hired Lana Wilkinson. They're like a $2,000 thing to do. So I said to Billy, I really want to do it. It's our last time. I just want to go out with a bang. I never have done it. So, you know. I think I think you could owe me that, right? So I've and spent, I just want to be a wag. <laughs> just want to be a wag for once in my life. So I decided I I really went right in and got this amazing dress made to me. And on on the night that Billy has been flown to Sydney to stand up in court, I have this dress getting cut to me while I'm standing there with tears rolling down my face, going, "Guys, I may never even wear this. Like we're putting in so much effort." And there were so many parties, like the stylist, the um, the guy, Jason Gretsch, who's doing the dress. Like, we're all put so much effort into this. And I said, but, guys, I don't even think I'll be able to wear it. But we continued to cut it and get it made. I have to fly out that next day. Bill has to fly home that midnight, whether he won or lost. And at that moment, we're making the decision, are we even going to go to the Dally M's? Because now you have to prepare for a um, grand final. So Bill said to mm. me, we still have to go. We are not talking to anyone on the red carpet, but we have to walk in. I have to present an award and we need to backdoor it and go home. I was like, what? Here we are again. Flashback from like going to London after 24 hours. I was like, are you kidding me? I was like, I just put in so much effort to get ready and I'm only allowed to spend 10 minutes there on the whole night and I'm not allowed to talk to anyone. I was like, and I have this amazing outfit. So 
I was so upset. I just went and um, got my hair, makeup done, took my own bloody photos, and then went and walked down the carpet. wasn't allowed to talk to anyone. We went home, <laughs> and I didn't even see. I didn't even see anyone. And and Bill didn't even spend the night with me and the kids that night. He had to go study in his room, and like, there's no glamour in that. So, like, realistically. <laughs> People, what they see on the red carpet, and I got absolutely sprayed. Apparently, everyone's like, did Bill shoulder charger into a tanning salon? My skin tans <laughs> when I, I come from North Queensland. I actually get really nice and brown, but people are unaware of this. So my oh, skin no. <laughs> takes in the colour. And so you get, you just can't win. You'll never win. So I, in that moment, I was trying to just enjoy that one 10-minute moment. But you get you get scrutinized, you get judged, you get told, oh, they're this, they're that, they get whatever they want. We don't. Like it's it we're still people getting ready for an event like anyone else. We're stressed, but we just have one thousand people having an opinion on it. So it's a good insight to be like, you'll never win. It doesn't matter what you say or what you do, there's always someone bloody negative and you just just gotta do your best. <laughs> so I don't know. I don't know how he does it, how he still He's, he's carrying on, on, not carrying on, but still carrying his career on. Yes. <laughs> he's carrying on on top. <laughs> yes, he carries like, on. In the limelight still. He's, yeah. Yeah, I, yeah. Yeah, he must enjoy it to a point where I don't know if footy. I would. <laughs> oh, no, I don't think he yeah. loves that side of it. He just loves footy. He loves what he does. He always has. I think he always will. And now he gets to do the best of both worlds. He's got his horses and he's got his footy. He is living his best life. And I'm usually yeah. the one at home when he has to travel um, and he has to go away. And because of COVID at the moment, he's travelled and he went away for five days but never returned for five weeks because he got stuck. Yeah. And like, so everyone in the media <laughs> talks about all the players and they talk about all these wags that are going up to see their, their players and they're all staying at these hotels. It is, again, what they put out in the media versus what we're all actually dealing with. Like, we're all in the same boat as everyone else. We're stuck in a small room with our children under maybe three. Like, I would not wish that upon anyone for 14 days. And that's just so they can be with their families. So I'm glad we are out of it now that the world has turned into a COVID world. Um, But I'm still doing it to a certain degree by myself, even though Bill's not playing anymore, but he's still just as much away and he's still much as dedicated and driven as the exact same as what he was on the field. So, but at least yeah. this time... You're going to change that. <laughs> no, it'll never change. It'll be like, it's game day, but it's game day for three or four days of the week now because he has to watch all the games. That's his, that's his theory. I have to watch the games. It's work. Because I don't watch footy. I never knew the rules. I never understood what the bloody hell he was doing. If he won a game or did well, I would be sitting in the car like, good game? And he'd be like, oh, my God. Like, he would never be happy. It was, I could never win. So I would just keep my mouth shut. I wouldn't even care in the end. (laughs) Hot dogs noise. Yeah. Yeah. I thought thought full time was half time. I just was disappointed. I couldn't go back and have another drink. I remember these were like early days. Like, oh. I just gave up. I just all I knew was the ball had to go from that end to that end, and don't drop it. That was about that's as far as I know with knowledge of football. I'm an artist. I'm allowed to. All right, I'm an artist. Oh, yeah, you're an artist. You're worth. You're the worst wag ever. I'm the worst. <laughs> I don't care. He's like, I've won the golden boot. No, he doesn't. He doesn't. He doesn't say that. But like, I'm just unaware. 
No, that's one thing I got with Billy. Even he was the same. He's still the same bloke as he is now as when he left here. So he hasn't yeah. changed or anything. Yeah. Like so I, I think that's I how say that people. <laughs> I, I honestly think that's how we ended up together. Is because I felt the exact same thing. Like I remember him when we were thirteen, and I remember when we got back together, and that was when I was twenty. And in that time, he hadn't changed. And I think he, um, I think he'd done that. What? The kick chase thingy, the, the, the chip and chase. <laughs> yeah, that might have been when he um turned twenty one and he, oh. he did that double double chip over the top and uh, won the game well, pretty much. I've just renamed it. It's called the kick chase. Okay, the kick chase, not the chip and chase. Double chip over the top of me. <laughs> well, anyway, so obviously that happened before we got together, and it didn't phase him. So. Um, and still today, look, I keep him very grounded and so do the kids. And I think, I think it all adds up. We all live in Victoria. We all, you know, we're all there for each other. But at the end of the day, if your boots get a little bit too big, is that, is that correct? Is that saying? Yeah. Well, you get, you too, get big, too big, too big for your four <laughs> I'm going to give up. Yeah, gonna Billy, give there's up. another one. <laughs> okay. I'm going to stop while I'm ahead. No, I'm going to quit. I'm going to quit. <laughs> There you go, Billy. There's another one. <laughs> nah, it's all right. I'm an artist. Oh, well, I'm mate, just leave this has been, been, <laughs> been an awesome podcast. Uh, I reckon we're going to get a lot of uh, laughs out of this one. Oh, so. Top five? Top five, you reckon? I don't top know. Five, yeah, I think, I think this is only the fifth one I've done by myself. So, <laughs> so definitely top five. Oh, shit. Oh, well, it's all right. We'll. Um, Sure, you'll get Billy on here in probably 35 years when he stops working for everyone. Yeah. Oh God! But thanks <laughs> for having me. Work me on my ta- on my Taz yarns. I'll, I'll employ him. Oh look, there's the plug <laughs> plug for yours. Plug for me. Oh, what are yep. we we, we so, plugged everything. I reckon Nick Switch. So what is uh? So what is it? Um, Slater thor- thoroughbreds. Slater thoroughbreds. There's Nicole Slater, artist. There's Billy Slater. There's oh, there's Move with Billy Slater. There's oh, yeah, we talk about that. Oh, a bit of a, bit it of does fit. it. Oh, you know what? It's, I reckon we've got stop? enough time to do another one in the future. <laughs> I think we should recap. <laughs> I mean, no, what? I think everyone stopped listening at this point. They're just like, Jesus yeah. Christ, these people blabber. <laughs> Sorry. No, I don't mind long podcasts because you can come in and out. Yeah, well, I mean, and, I've uh, had yeah, three yeah. phone calls in the meantime. Like, life has gone on. Break this podcast three times. Oh, I've edited it now. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I've had a very special <laughs> delivery for my prints. I've, I've spent a fortune on these heavy duty drawers that I needed for my limited edition prints. So, yes, it's yeah. um, nothing stops. I mean, just before this interview, just to put it in perspective, we were out chainsawing in a horse paddock, like, because the winds have been so strong, we lost one of the trees over the – like, I mean, life is not, like, what people think it is. It's just normal. Huh. So, <laughs> if that's one lesson learned. Like you said, he still eats, he still, bre- he still shits. <laughs> <laughs> the wind still blows, sun still comes up. <laughs> that is my motto. You just can't- it's just no walk down the golden path. Yeah. <laughs> it's the calm after the storm, like we can be here or not. Is we're all normal, you know? Like I, I think I said to someone, what do you expect you to do? Fly around the room like Superman? Like nothing happens behind closed doors. It's any different. I still get the shits at him. He rubs his feet. He chews loudly. He keeps me up at night. Like 
there's literally so many annoying traits like everyone else has about their husbands. So, or wives, whatever. <laughs> I don't think my wife doesn't have any on me, but Bullshit. it's all good. Oh, I'm well, only one. Maybe I'll get a text human. from her and she can tell me. And then next time we do our podcast, I'll have a list long. So tell me about this. <laughs> You'll have to start your own, start your own podcast. Oh, no, I'll get in trouble. <laughs> I'll say everything wrong. I'll get in too much trouble. I'll just stick to my lane. Is that even a saying? I should stop saying like saying. Hey, hey, that was all right, that one. Was it, was it even <laughs> correct? <laughs> yeah, that one was correct. <laughs> or stay in your lane. Is it stay in your uh, lane? It doesn't matter. Yeah, tomato, lane, tomato. To yeah, same, same. I'll run <laughs> banana, <with it>. banana. <laughs> no, don't even get me started. <laughs> now I don't even know what's right or wrong. But anyway, thank you. <laughs> Should let everyone. No, too easy. Good to see you too. I haven't seen you for a few years, so. I know. I've um, gone grey. I've decided let it all grow out now, mate. I'm done. Poor Billy. I've given up on life. <laughs> Mop and Judy. And, yep. Um, yep. <laughs> you know what's funny when yeah. people say that? Yeah, say good night. You know you're on the phone. Yeah, say yes, good night. You, you know won't. what? I always say I won't. I'll do it because nah, I'm not going to walk out and go, hey, Ron, Jude, Bill, you know, Taz said good day. And then what are they going to say? Okay. Here we go. Here we go. I'll just say, okay, uh, Mop, Jude, Sheena, good day. Exactly. <laughs> Tyler, Jake, exactly. good day. There you go. Exactly. Now you've heard me say good Yeah, yeah. So I always go, yeah, I won't. But thanks. Yeah, that's a nice gesture, but I won't. <laughs> All good, mate. All right, I'll speak to you soon. Bye. Oi, thanks once again, Nicole Slater. You can catch Nicole Slater at Nicole Rose Art, Slater Thoroughbreds. Also, check out Billy Slater and Move with Billy Slater, all on Instagram, Facebook, and all the social medias, 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 medias. Today, the podcast is brought to you by Fish Skins AU. There's actually a new season and catalogue coming out next week. Um, I can't wait to see it out. My mug is actually probably going to be in the, in the promo sort of thing, so you get to see what I look like. These are going to be astounded. Anyway, next week, I get the uh, two weeks' time, I get to chat with a coral collector, a Spiro, a Fisho. His name is Tristan Graham. He's got a cool story of how he actually saved a whale a couple of weeks ago. It was um, caught up in all boys and ropes and stuff. And so you'll have to have a listen how he saved it. So tune in and I'll see you next time. And thanks again for all the people that have been listening and um, getting on board. Thanks for your support. And also I'd just love for you just to share this yarn with one of your mates and say, hey, listen to Taz Yarns if you're bored. Shit, yeah. See you later, everybody. Thanks a lot. Bye.